You're listening to SoFloRadio.com. Fights have been part of hockey from the beginning. But the nature of fighting changed in the 1970s when the Philadelphia Flyers adopted a new strategy, intimidation. We're going to be the team that nobody wants to play. We're going to be the team that you're afraid to play. We're going to be the team that will fight you as fast as look at you. We don't care how many penalty minutes we take. We don't care how many eyes we gouge. We don't care how many stitches we have to get in our face. We're going to be mean, nasty, and dirty. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Grooveton. I am Tony C., and of course, I am joined live in the studio by the master of production and engineering, the man who makes sure that our groove is satiny smooth, and for whom Labor Day is yet another chance to prove why he alone has earned the title of the hardest working Gramps Master Flash on the airwaves. Say hello to Los Georgia. It's Labor of Love Day. Labor of Love Day. Working hard to keep your heart out there. Of course, every Grooveton centers around an attitude of gratitude. Mucho mahalo to everybody tuning in live and downloading the show here in America and around the world, y'all. How you doing, pal of mine? I'm doing great. You're getting we're ready. Gonna, One you hurricane. Got, you got a hurricane over there. Now we're getting yeah, ready we got for a, Irma. We got a week to live, so uh, you know, I'm making the most of it. <laughs> you, got, you, got your, uh, you got your bug out vehicle already, right? Lots of toilet the, paper. and. No, I've been watching Texas. I have my bug out kayak the bug already. Out, the, 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 yeah, right now it's the bug out airboat. <laughs> I went. Uh, I was talking about this. I went up a week ago and went and uh, watched the uh, Mayweather McGregor about absolutely fantastic fight. Went up and watched it. I uh, went up to Sanford, watched it with an old friend of mine, Mark Vivian. So shout out to Mark and Simone for hosting the party up at their place up there. Absolutely worth. It's totally an entertaining fight. And basically, at the end of it, thus endeth the lesson because. Mayweather looked at the end of the fight. Mayweather looked like he had just finished off getting a sweetest massage, and McGregor looked like he got the shit kicked out of him, which in fact he did. You know, it was it was, it was a lesson. So, and Mark is unquestionably the man to uh, to analyze that fight. He's the most dangerous guy I personally know. Wow, lots of stuff been going on. I don't know what the hell is going on with Korea, and honestly, don't care. You know, every time this guy does something, the entire world cowers under its bed. We got lots of stuff to get to today, jam-packed, because we are working on Labor Day. So what do we got here? We got, let me see, uh, why $10 a month to go to all the movies you want may not be the bargain it sounds like. Uh, how Robert Lee's latest defeat may be bad for all of us. I'll take a glance at the countdown clock on Ben Carson's inevitable run for Congress. Uh, let me see, here's some great news that flew under the radar, you know, because of the whole hurricane thing. Engine, making, engine maker Cummins hooks up with Hot Rod guru, Guru's Roush to make my dream machine a reality. Mm. Uh, let me see what else. Oh, in the ongoing saga of And the Man Coulter, the latest chapter has his earlier attempt to get on our good side, now just a blip in our re- rearview mirror. Plus, uh, what else? We got Sheriff Joe gets a pass. Houston gets drenched. And I will try and explain how President Trump has taken a page from the Philadelphia Flyers 1974 playbook course, all of that is going to be cocooned 
within the finest, most diverse groove anywhere on the air, including an opening track that's sure to restore your hope and faith in the future of rock and roll. Just past 2 o'clock in the only Hollywood that matters anymore. Yeah, Hollywood. Florida means just past 8 o'clock on the Big Island. Aloha to the Kahu crew. Just past 11 o'clock in the morning in Ensenada, Mexico. Big shout out to Omar and Dessa from Uncle Tony. Dessa has just started school. You go, girl. Just past 7 o'clock at night. Dublin, Lytham, St. Anne, Lisbon, and the rest of Western Europe. Of course, that means it's just past 8 o'clock in Bethingestrand, Sweden. Shout out to the Viking Groovateers. Yo, Gramps, you ready to find out what martial snacks are really meant for? I'm ready. Now, strap yourself in. It's the Groovathon on SoFloRadio.com. <laughs> Stop it in the replay. 
the LA speed story and I it was just a story about one day it was really cool being being SR-71 pilot. Walter and I were doing a training mission around the United States where you just were building up hours and time and we take off out of Beale hit a tanker in Idaho 
rip on up to uh, Montana, zip across Denver, hang a right turn in Albuquerque, out over Los Angeles, up to Seattle, back into Sacramento, two hours, 21 minutes. And you just do that for, and you do it backwards, and you hit a tanker. It was just, just to gain crew coordination, get, build your hours. We're on our last training mission. We're over Tucson. I can see downtown L.A. from Tucson. We're at 89,000 feet. I can see the whole western United States bathed in a warm October fall glow. I can see the chain of Rocky Mountains from Canada to New Mexico. I could, I could just see the most beautiful picture laid at my feet in the air as smooth as glass, not a gauge moving in the cockpit. It was perfect. Now I'm thinking, we bad. I feel sorry for Walter because he has to monitor five radios in the back seat, so I flipped the switch up just to listen. And L.A. Center is controlling. They control all. When you fly Southwest Airlines, the guy's controlling everybody. But we're above controlled airspace. So they have us on their scope, but they're not talking to us. Now, there's controllers all over the country, Jacksonville Center, Chicago Center, Seattle Center. You know, it's the same guy. They all talk the same. And it's really cool the way they talk because they make you feel important as a pilot. They don't just say, yeah, okay, here's your thing. They make you feel really cool. So sure enough, this was pre-GPS day. Some Cessna guy has to know his ground speed. Uh, LA Center Cessna November Tango Alpha, you got a ground speed readout for us? Now, Center would like to say, who cares? Get off free. <laughs> but no, he'll talk to him like he's John Glenn. Cessna November Alpha, we show you 90 knots, nine zero knots on the ground. And they do that sing-song, but that's how they talk. And it makes you feel kind of cool. Right after that, a twin bonanza came up to pimp the guy for speed, I guess. And LA Center, Twin Beach, uh, whatever. You got a ground speed readout for us? And Center likes to go, it's Friday. Why me, God, please, just get off. Free. But he's going to talk to him like he's Air Force One. Twin Beach, we show you 121, two zero knots on the ground. And right after that, a Navy F-18 out of Lemoore popped up on frequency. And you knew it was a Navy guy because he talked really slick on the radio. <laughs> Center Dusty 5-2 speed check. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Dusty 5-2 has a ground speed indicator and a million-dollar F-18 cockpit. It's right there in the heads-up display. Why is he calling Center to broadcast his speed? Oh, I get it. We are just the meanest, baddest, fastest military jet in the valley today. We're taking our little Hornet jet over Mount Whitney and ripping across Death Valley. We want everyone from Fresno to the coast to know what real speed is. And you can almost hear a little, a little glee in the controller's voice like, we have put an end to this. <laughs> Dusty 5-2, we show you 620, 6-2-0 knots across the ground. And it was that across the ground. See that little knife like, I hope nobody else has the nerve to get on frequency now. And there wasn't an airliner from Seattle to San Diego that wanted to be next on freak. It's sort of an etiquette thing amongst flyers. And a 12-year-old was reaching for the mic button. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, wait, Walter's in charge of the radios. I flew single seat all those years, but I'm in the family model now. And I, I want it. No, it's the Navy that must die. They must die now. And I, and I thought, no, but if I do, I will well, upset Walter, and I want us to be a good crew. And I, at that moment, I heard a click of the mic button in the back seat. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Walter and I became a crew at that moment. <laughs> in his best innocent voice, L.A. Center, Aspen 3-0. Have you got a ground speed readout for us? 
you could almost hear a collective gasp on Freak, like, oh, the poor fools didn't hear the previous transmissions. Oh, they, they got crushed like a grape. It's, it's just a pilot thing. But Center had to give you that same voice. Aspen 3-0, we show you 1,992 knots <laughs> across the ground. When I knew I was going to like Walter a lot is when he came back and said, Center, we're showing a little closer to 2,000. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we did not hear another transmission on that frequency all the way to the coast. The king of speed lived, the navy had been flamed, and a crew had been formed.
about that cup of coffee right there. The Devil's Daughters, pass that bottle. It's a couple of uh, scorching chicks from Tucson. Before that, Funk Moguls backfire from rock blocking bombastic jam came out in 2012. Those guys from the Czech Republic. So a little funk from the Eastern Bloc there. Before that, I've been dying to play this. It's a clip that a friend of mine sent to me. Um, this Air Force pilot talking about flying one of the you know the fastest jets, fastest airplanes basically that exist right now. And I just thought it was hilarious the the, the way he was talking about um, the air traffic controllers all sounding the same. Shout out to my man Howie and retired air traffic controller. But one of the things that it reminded me of, you know, he was talking about, uh, yeah, Cessna, blah, 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 blah. You know, no matter what the plane is, they sa- they sound exactly the same no matter who mm. they're talking to. And it reminded me of my time in strip clubs because when you go to strip clubs, every DJ, gentlemen stepping onto the main stage right now, ain't you going to be doing it up for you? Looks good, is good. Coming off the outside, making yourself available for some of those famous SoFloRadio.com table dates starting at just $20 minimum. Oh, yeah, I need you up there on the stage taking care of my gal tips on the hips, the name of the game. And every DJ sounds the same. Okay. And, and I, I'll tell people, oh, yeah, I used to DJ at strip clubs. Oh, really? And then I'll do the voice and they're like, mm. oh, yeah, oh, yeah that, guy, that yeah. sounds like every other DJ I've ever heard. You know, the other thing that it, that it reminded me of was he was talking about, you know, the rivalry with uh, the Navy. And, you know, what the fuck is going on with the Navy? I mentioned this on the last show. I was looking it up. They've already had yeah. 40% more accidents this year than all of last year. And I'm I'm fooling around online and i found this site called what is it called again it is called duffelblog.com and it's basically the onion for uh military stuff and the headline that caught my eye was navy destroyer collides with building in downtown houston (laughs) which i thought was hilarious but they have other ones sailor jumps overboard to avoid being punished for hiding on a ship for a week uh, let me see. Sean Spicer begs Navy Reserve for multi-year deployment to anywhere remote. <laughs> Navy considers giving up the ship. Navy unable to locate clitoral combat ship. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's just a whole series. It's a really, really funny site if you ever get a chance to look at it. It's absolutely hilarious stuff. Before that, Clutch, a quick death in Texas from Psychic Warfare came out a couple years ago. Before that... I've been wanting to play this little ditty for a while. It's a band called Gold, who were around for just a little while in San Francisco. The song was I Can't Get Enough from their live album called Mission Rock, which came out in 1971. Chick's got a set of pipes on her, man. I, You know, I like that. And so I, you know, get my psychedelic swirl on and kicking off the show. Yeah. Restoring my faith in the future of rock and roll. The band is called Greta Van Fleet. And... Basically, they sound exactly like Zeppelin. You know, that's what they sound like. They're literally kids. They're from Michigan. And that's that particular track was from like a month ago, like a month, month and a half ago from a live or live in the sound lounge, which is, a, I guess, a show that's done um, in Chicago. So I got a bunch of those uh, tracks right there. And it was, you know, Greta Van Fleet. I, you know, I was talking with you earlier, we, you know, I was saying, you know, it was the bands like Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden mm. that were kind of carrying the mantle of just straight up, smack you down rock and roll. And now, you know, various members keep dying off, uh, you know, through whatever, for whatever reason. And these guys look like they're ready to, they're ready to fucking carry the torch. Greta Van Fleet. So I highly recommend that. So. Yeah. Lots of stuff went on. Just 
to get this out of the way, I'm already looking forward to spring training next year. My beloved, mighty New York Metropolitans just stink. They got hit by the injury bug this year. And I can, you know, basically I can only hope that by the time next season comes around, they recover before hurricane season comes back next year. All right. And uh, so basically I've decided that this is going to be the second time that I'm going to root for a team other than the Mets. Okay. Okay. I In 2001, I rooted for the... Sorry, I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. The Yankees. Oh. I, I, I did it back then. And I'm going to be rooting for the Astros this year. Uh, much to the light of my friend uh, Elizabeth, who lives in Houston. And I'll tell you something. Thank God she lives in an area of Houston that I guess had just finished some sort of, uh, you know, underground pipe system, you know, for drainage in her neighborhood. So her neighborhood didn't get flooded at all. And, you know, honestly, kudos to uh, to Elizabeth because I spoke to her, I guess, a couple days ago. And she said, you know, I got off easy, so I'm going out now. I'm going to get a couple hundred dollars worth of diapers and tampons and go to one of the, uh, you know, go to one of those places where all the people that are out of their house, you know, they can't go back to the house. She's going to. Yeah, like a, like a shelter. Like a shelter, yeah. And she's going to, you know, she's going to bring diapers and tampons. She's like, you know, that's the kind of thing people don't really yeah. think about. I thought it was, I'm going to buy a bunch of, because uh, we got Irma coming. Yeah. I'm going to buy a bunch of diapers and tampons so that I can uh, price couch. <laughs> unbelievable. Hey, look. Who says New Yorkers aren't magnanimous, okay? Because the first series that the Astros played after the hurricane, yeah, it was a three-game series against the Mets, and they swept the Mets. <laughs> the Mets lost all three games. So there you go. We're, we're doing the best that we can. I, I bookmarked a, uh, a story a couple of weeks ago about a $70 million high school football stadium that was just built. $70 million high school football stadium. Where was it built? Whoops, in Katy, Texas. So now it's a $70 million above-the-ground swimming pool. That's what it is now. Okay? $70 million. On the subject of sports, there was this uh, brouhaha about a uh, an ESPN play, foot, uh, college football play-by-play guy named Robert Lee. Yeah, I, I saw that story on Facebook. That's It made me groan and roll my eyes. Exactly. That's what I did. And, you know, I was reading uh, – an interview with uh, the guy who was like, you know, the head of ESPN. And basically, I think I get it where they were coming from at the time. It's easy for me to say it in hindsight. But when it was all just happening, because the game was in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. It was the opening game oh, okay. of Virginia against, you know, so, uh, I can't remember what the other team was. But uh, against I, I Williams. Can, yeah. And it was, you know... And now, you know, you look back on it now and you think to yourself, you know, it's a shame they did that. It could have been a teachable moment. The guy's Asian, for God's sakes. Okay. It's a, can you spell your name L-I? L-I. Just for, just for today. <laughs> also, you know, another thing in a sports thing, uh, a week ago, I was, you know, dozing off on the couch and I was kind of laying around and I, it was 7 o'clock, so I turned on, I wanted to see it was on 60 Minutes, but there was a golf tournament that had gone long and so, you know, 60 Minutes will be following the golf, you know, except on the West Coast. And it was a playoff hole between Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth at the end of the Northern Trust Open. And I'll tell you something. Dustin Johnson walks up on the 18th hole. It's a dog leg left and hits a 341-yard drive, which if I dreamt about doing that, I'd wake up screaming in the middle of the night. <laughs> and Jordan Spieth hits like a little 315-yard drive straight down. So, Okay, but when it was all over, Dustin Johnson had won this particular tournament. And 
it was basically the the closing broadcast for CBS's golf coverage of the PGA this year. And the final thing I heard the CBS announcer Jim Nance say was, God bless Dustin Johnson, the champion. What the fuck? What? Okay, if you can hit a golf ball 341 yards straight, Mm. you've already been blessed. You don't need Jim Nance, you know, tapping you on the shoulder, looking out for you. Trust me, he's already been blessed. So I don't, I, the whole, you know, the National Day Day of Prayer. How was your National Day of Prayer yesterday? Was it okay? I, I told you I, I prayed uh, in multi in multi faith fashion. Good for I sacrificed you. a chicken to Chango. All right. I read the entrails for uh, Dagda the War God, uh, the dozen <laughs> the dozen king uh, from the Celtic uh, mythos, and I smeared the blood on my uh, doors on my door frame in honor of Judaism and, and, and Pesach. Oh, good for you! Just just because I felt, you know, at prayer day, why not hedge my bets? Well, here's one. Ann Coulter unleashes Twitter tirade after Trump's tax speech, and she's not happy. Indeed. Well, yeah, well, basically what she said was— What does my uh, hero have to say today? She wrote down, why the fuck is President Trump back to tax cuts? His election was not about tax cuts. He has been talking to Speaker Paul Ryan again. <laughs> okay, that's what she wrote. However— <laughs> that, that poisonous evil Paul Ryan. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and—, and I talked about this on the last show. Okay, this is going to be absolutely a, a congressional cage match, you know, to the death. Okay, they're going to get almost nothing done. This is going to actually be hilarious to watch. Watch what they do. But then after that, you know, first she tries to get on her good side. But then she has to go ahead. And Ann Coulter says God punishing Houston for lesbian mayor is a more credible cause of hurricane than climate change. Mm. That was her karma thing. So, you know, she she just can't help himself. No. She can't do no. it. I I and honey, baby, sweetie. Sir. Sir, I'm begging you. You know? You got to you got to pick a side. Just pick No, a side. she's 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 consistent. I appreciate her as the as the voice of honesty and she's always been saying and and this is because the 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 Republican people in my life that I talk to are constantly in denial of what it's all about. Oh like, yeah, you're not. You don't really believe in supply side economics. Of course, you not. don't really. You're just a bigot, and you're 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 couching it in all these terms. They've perverted Keynesian. She when yeah. she comes out and says he had me like, oh, I like Trump. I don't like Trump because he's a racist. You're blowing all that out of proportion. That's just you know. No, I don't like him because of that. I like him because of what he you know. And she comes out and says I he had me at Mexican rapist. I'm yeah. like, there you go. See that? Why don't you? Right, at least, why at least don't he's not covering anything? Why why don't you have the balls that Man Coulter does? And we know the answer to that question, don't we? <laughs> so, so I do appreciate it. I do appreciate that thing. Well, we're rooting for. I, yeah. I, I spotted yeah. this one a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there's a site called DreamHost.com. It's kind of one of these anti-Trump sites. They have been subpoenaed. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. want the membership list for the people who, uh, I guess, had organized and, uh, first through all, the site wh- what's a next? protest at the inauguration. It's they have this software. Where's where are all the Republican? Where are all my conservative friends about they, oh, freedom? About oh, unwarranted please. search and seizure? About any of that? No, oh, they. It's never. They don't. It really. It's no, never enough. It's never been about that. So. Back in February 2016, right before Gentle Ben Carson dropped out of the race, I predicted (laughs) 
that he, we like that General Ben Carson. I'm here for you, man. I predicted that he would run for Congress in 2018. Now, of course, Trump, in his infinite wisdom, decided to make him the head of HUD. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that crossing off that entry of in his uh, bucket of deplorables list, so I may have to wait a while, but wait, maybe not. Because uh, at Trump's most recent praise-a-thon in Phoenix two weeks ago, uh, Ben Carson was the opening act, or fluffer, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that may wind up putting him back on schedule for his new job inside the Beltway. The headline was, just 14 words at Trump's Arizona rally may have caused Ben Carson to violate ethics law. As Carson was set to take the stage... At the rally, an announcer introduced him with the secretary of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, Dr. Ben Carson. That's all it took for a possible Hatch Act violation. The Hatch Act, uh, the 1939 law, prevents government employees such as cabinet secretaries from using their position to advance or promote any political party or candidate. Its purpose is to ensure, quote, federal programs are administered in a nonpartisan fashion. (laughs) <laughs> to protect, I know it's almost hilarious. Uh, I'm okay. laughing on the inside. To protect, right, to protect federal employees from political coercion in the workplace, and to ensure that federal employees are advanced based on merit and not based on political affiliation. That this is according to the uh, the Office of Special Counsel's website. Okay, yeah, that's. I guess that's how uh, DeVos she got there on mm. merit. Mm-hmm. She was she was put there on merit, not because she donated lots and lots of money. So I'm thinking that now I might be back on schedule because he may have to, you know, he may he may have to, you know, step down. I don't know what he's done. I really don't. I have no idea what he's done. You since, mean in in politics? Yeah. Well, since being since becoming the head of the of the Department of, of Housing and Urban Development, yeah. I, I, I really I don't no know. What, I don't know what he's done. You know, I haven't bought a house lately, so <laughs> there's a lot of. That. I was I was wondering. I just wrote this down. Whatever happened to Sharon Angle? She was the uh, she ran for the Senate seat from Nevada. I think back in 2010 or 2000. You made 2010, 2012 against Harry Reid or something. She's just a complete whack job. She lost. Never heard from her again. Also. I wonder what's going on with Julian Assange these days. You know, he's mm-hmm. we haven't heard from him in a while, and he just can't stay out of the, you know, mm-hmm. he needs to be noticed. So any minute now we can expect a Julian Assange, I don't know, spewing of ridiculousness. You know, he, he keeps coming out with stuff. This is going to change it. This is going to change everything. Ah, shut up, you big fuck. This one caught my eye. Netflix co-founder's crazy plan. Pay $10 a month. Go to all the movies you want. Now, this is something that's actually kind of – it's called Movie Pass, and it's actually already uh, in play, but I think it's like $30 a month. And basically what it says, you buy a Movie Pass, you pay $30 mm-hmm. every month, and you can go to one movie a day every single day per month. Okay. You know, at any theater that accepts Movie Pass, which is most of the, the big they ones. They don't games. have that movie, many movies. <laughs> well, they, that's the one thing. They don't. Right. But it was thirty. But now he wants to reduce it to ten dollars a month. And what I was reading, it said MoviePass could lose a lot of money subsidizing people's movie habits. So the company also raised cash on Tuesday by selling a majority stake to Helios and Matheson Analytics Incorporated, which is a small publicly traded data firm in New York. The company's declined to comment on the terms of financing. But said MoviePass itself intends to hold an initial public offering by March. So 
Ted Farnsworth, chief executive officer of Helios and Matheson, said the goal is to amass a large base of customers and collect data on viewing behaviors. That information could then be used to eventually target advertisements or other marketing materials to subscribers. Mm -hmm. It's no different than Facebook or Google. The more we understand our fans, the more we can target them. Mm -hmm. He's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So before you buy that movie pass and think that it's a great thing, you know, everything now is being uh, analyzed, collected. They have, you know, all of the uh, algorithms that are being used. That's how you got those uh, glacier glasses. Right. Remember you were telling me about that? That's how you get all that stuff. This one, this one brought a smile to my face. This this next one. I'm so pleased. Cummins beats Tesla to the punch by revealing electric semi truck. They did it. Squeal. Okay. Bonus package for me. They're working with Roush, who are the uh, the guys who uh, custom make balls to the wall Mustangs and stuff like. Getting a Roush Mustang, you have to wait mm-hmm. on a list, and it's they're incredible. They're they're super duper fast. The see if this reminds you of anything that somebody may have said a year or two years ago. I don't know. You may have heard this. The company also notes that. Roof-mounted solar panels could cut consumption even further. Yeah. I wonder where I've heard that before. I don't know. I've been harping about that for a long time. I know. I I can't believe it. Uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, this is what the first thought was because the engine um, in this new truck, it goes 100 miles. Okay. Okay, on a charge. It takes an hour to charge up. They say that by 2020, it'll only take... 20 minutes to charge up. Mm-hmm. And so right now, they're basically, it's it's being uh, geared towards inner city distribution, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a 18,000 pound uh, tractor trailer, and it can haul 44,000 pounds of cargo for 100 miles on a full charge. But I was thinking to myself, you know, I-10 mm-hmm. from Dallas to Santa Monica, okay? It's basically all desert southwest. So they would be able to buy land for solar panel farms and the accompanying charging stations. Okay, dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there. Have you ever driven I-10 like between Dallas and Fort Hancock? There's nothing there. There's literally nothing there. And I promise you, okay, even if the land along the I-10 corridor is you know owned by ranchers or, or whatever, at some point or another, somebody is going to, you know. Bark out eminent domain. Okay. They're going to do this. And I want to see if the trucking companies, okay, try and set this up instead of the traditional uh, companies like ExxonMobil who Mm. are, you know, who have traditionally provided fuel for Mm 18-wheelers, okay? You know, I want to see if, you know, I'll tell you something. If the Teamsters were smart, uh, they'd start looking into this for all the independent truckers out there you know why uh pay somebody else to do it why not invest in it yourselves so that the truckers mm-hmm. would basically be able to charge up for free and the minute i i thought of that the next thing that popped into my head is that that you know somebody's going to say oh they can't do that because it's going to be seen as a violation of uh some part of the sherman antitrust act so uh this would be a you know against monopolies mm-hmm. and in this case it would be a vertical monopoly as opposed to a horizontal monopoly a vertical monopoly is about the chain of production so you you know a horizontal monopoly is owning a whole bunch of companies that are do exactly what you do 
a mm. vertical monopoly is owning everything from start to finish right. in the so production they- of what you do. Okay? And they were saying that the key to producing long-haul electric trucks could be – and this is one I never thought of, but this is very smart – enabling drivers to stop and swap out batteries. You don't have to charge them up. They would just have beautiful. a brand new battery there. Swap up. And, you know, the reason something Brilliant. like that he was saying, the reason something like this might make sense right now is you have truckers who are driving long distances in a single day. If you look at the way truckers actually are driving, they're still stopping every three or four hours to use the bathroom, check a load, refuel, yeah. grab food. You can imagine if you have this battery swapping infrastructure in place, it doesn't even change the behavior pattern of truckers. In addition to rolling out the electric concept truck, Cummins rolled out a whole bunch of other uh, engines, a uh, near-zero natural gas, a super-efficient uh, turbo diesel that it's going to be coming out with in 2022. And uh, the president said, we're agnostic, if you will, in terms of what fuel that we use or what powertrain it is, as long as we can help our customers do their job better. That, that's a great idea. I think it's a great and, idea. And just I like, love it. Because I, uh, like I have a big hard drive that, that slides into and out of the computer. You can have a, a, a forklift uh, you know, slide the battery in and Absolutely. out. Like a, 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 Bonus package on this one. Okay. It's going, to, it's going to basically be the catalyst for an industry mm-hmm. manufacturing these batteries because you're going to have to have twice as many. Well, you saw the. You have to have the batteries that are did, in the truck. Did you see? Elon Musk is way ahead of you. Did you see the the battery factory that's as big he as is, a city? He's that's coming all solar out with powered? a truck right. that they say is going to go 300 miles on a charge. What a time to be okay. alive! We're going to watch any it any minute now. Any minute now. Going to watch these. The, what the oil company is doing right now. This is this is like. Like the royal family doing as much as they can because they they see the, the pitchforks and the peasants oh, absolutely. And crashing down. They know that their day is the coming. End they, is near. They're already obsolete. We already don't need right. them. We don't. We need just them. need to go through the years. process for two years. We I've just, been saying we right. don't need oil, and they okay? know it. They're going away. The b- burning the spent w- a lot of money. Conning like, us, like, convincing you know us that we need them. Whale oil. Same with the- Remember whale oil? Y'all are going the way of whale oil. Remember right? the horse and buggy manufacturer? But see, the, we, the buggy used to have to burn, we used to have to burn whale oil for the lights, and now we burn the ground oil for the lights, and, and pretty soon we're not going to have Well, that's the whole thing. I, you know, and the key here is that you know, basically the X factor in the cost of, of goods in this country is the cost of transporting them from the point of production to the point of sale. Oh, yeah. That's the X factor. Oh, yeah. That's the big shift in things. That's how come the, you know, when gas prices go up, mm. the cost of milk mm. goes up. Yep. Okay, the cost of groceries go up. Wouldn't it be great once you start building these solar farms with the with the charging station right there, mm. okay, that once you finish off Building all that, that's the initial capital investment. After that, it just needs to be, you know, it's just basic maintenance. All of the energy at that point is free. It is free. You're going to get it from the sun. It will charge the battery that will go into the truck that will transport the goods. Okay? And I think that trucking companies, I've said it, I just said it, trucking companies, the Teamsters, they should start looking into investing in this for their truck. Why not? I... That's a brilliant idea. I don't. They're not profiting the, from the, it. They're helping us to profit from it by making making our products 
that they bring to market less expensive. Yep. The team okay? And less start- subject to price spikes because of the wanton greed of the oil industry. Okay? Yep. The wanton ridiculousness of the Middle East. Any, you know, all it takes is for Iran to get a bug up their ass and, tr- and you know, start causing a fracas in the Straits of Hormuz. And, you know, crude oil prices go up 10 bucks in a week. That's all it takes. Mm-hmm. All it took for gas prices in America to go up, okay, 26 cents in one week. Mm-hmm. In one week, okay, we didn't have a shortage of oil. We just had a problem getting it from where where it's refined through the pipelines. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't need pipelines anymore? How, uh, hey, here's a yeah. here's a thought. You know what? We could literally transform those pipelines and turn them into ways of getting water from places where right. up in the north. Dude, forget right. about the forget Texas about the has too sands. much. Montana has too little oil or the Canadian right. uh, ice, tar sands. Ice, yeah. you know, ice fields. Let that flow down into California, the California the, the, growing region. Don't worry. It's on its way. God, I certainly <laughs> hope so. Yeah, just, it's just going via the ocean. That's exactly yeah. why. Well, look, I've said it on yeah. a number of occasions. If you want to rule the world, if America wants to make sure that it is absolutely, okay, at the forefront of, you know, of global economics for the next century, okay, electric motors. Yep. Batteries. Electric batteries, okay, for, for vehicles and stuff like that, okay, mm-hmm. and large-scale water desalinization. Yep. Those two things solve 75% of the world's problems. The other 25% are solved by eliminating religious and zealots. You but, know you can desalinate with solar energy. I'm not talking about with the, turning it into electricity. I mean, just, there are solar stills, solar distillation Oh, yeah, thing. but, you know, yeah. the, the thing is, is you have to be able to do it, you know, on a massive scale, and it has See? to be done – you know, so we've that got, it's price. So we've the got price a, point a lot of land, functional. and and this, by the way, this can be done on the ocean. This can be done over the water. The, well, the that, solar desalinization plants you know, can be floating. It's easy to say that there's a lot of stuff that gets involved in that. You know, every time we start talking about doing stuff in the ocean, you know, we think about it in terms of the ocean being so fucking huge. What mm. you know, what difference is it going to make cordoning off this tiny little section as compared to how big the entire yeah. ocean is? Guess what? It might make a difference. We are discovering various places in the world where garbage is coming up. Yeah. The amount of plastic in there. We yeah, need, you yeah, know, yeah. but, 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 okay, we're not, you know, there's plenty of water. Mm-hmm. Okay. We need, you know, and once we use it, you know, we can redo it. It all keeps coming around and around mm-hmm. and around. It's not going anywhere. Yep. So once we figure that out. So on the subject of water. Yes. I have some, uh, just, you know, some quick thoughts about Mostly, you know, the cable news coverage of Harvey, of the hurricane in Houston. And there's a lot of stuff that uh, I just want it noted for the record that I I restrained myself from playing. You know, well, it's flooding down in Texas, baby. All of the telephone lines are down. Little Stevie Ray Vaughan there. I played it for myself. But I watched a lot of the Fox News coverage. Okay. For the first couple of days. And I don't know if they had like a quota for the first two or three days of how many times one of their uh, newscasters had to say, well, our, our thoughts and prayers, of course, are with mm-hmm. you. And, uh, 
and you know an old Houstonian, you know everybody in Houston. They it was like three, four times an hour, every hour, hour after. They just they don't know how to basically. The thing is, is what I noticed when watching Fox and then watching MSNBC was it's not necessarily the questions that they're asking of the people they're interviewing, whether it's political officials or whomever. It's the way in which they choose to ask the questions. It's the, you know, it's the way in which different stations, the way in which MSNBC went immediately right off the bat within within 48 hours started talking about, you know, uh, they started trying to find ways in which they could criticize uh, the government's mm-hmm. handling of the situation. I just want to be clear on something. I'm going to I'm going to say this right now. You know, I really for the moment, I don't have a problem with the way in which the Trump administration so far and the governor of Texas and the mayor of Houston, okay, and so far and FEMA, I don't have a problem with how things are being handled. It's this is a major catastrophe. And so far, it looks like they're doing the fucking best they can. Yeah. And, you know, Trump went down and, yeah, did he sound like a jerk off on the <laughs> uh, on the, the tarmac the first day he was there? You know, he was like, he, the, you know, but seriously, when he flew out, he, he went there on the Tuesday. Okay, last Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, he didn't go directly to Houston and, and immediately MSNBC was like, oh, you know, that's the difference between him and Obama. He didn't meet with any of the... Uh, any of the victims or any of that, you know what? Shut the fuck up because he didn't want his presence to get in the way, okay, of cleaning up, of helping people out, which is what happens when the president shows up. He couldn't go to Houston. He I've always, I've always he said that. He came back on Saturday, just a couple days ago, and he did just that. Okay, you know, I got a lot. There's plenty of shit out there that this guy does that makes you want to pull my hair out and is absolutely devoid of any kind of virtue okay but in this particular instance you don't need to try and you know go to the worst thing ever and try and conjure that up okay whereas fox on the other hand is the complete opposite they just there is nothing that trump can do wrong in this instance they couldn't build him up high enough and i had posted because i was watching ted cruz being interviewed and he did like you know like on the sunday morning talk shows except he did it on like the you know the sunday or monday after the you know when the hurricane was going through and he did you know one station then another station then another station and basically he said the exact same thing on all three stations and all three stations you know fox msnbc and cnn they all brought up the fact that after sandy okay him and Corn and uh, Cornyn, the other uh, senator from Texas, and lots of Republicans, tons of twenty-three of the congressmen, okay, all voted against the initial, uh, you know, uh, relief package for Hurricane Sandy, and they they kept saying we're not going to vote for that because it's too laden with pork. It was too filled up. They called it a Christmas tree bill. Bullshit. That is one of those lies that has just been perpetrated over and over and over again. And it's a complete, bold-faced lie. The reason they did it is because they didn't like the fact, okay, that Governor Christie shook hands with President Obama after the hurricane. 
They didn't like that it was Northeastern liberals. They didn't like that. Okay? The money that they claimed was all pork Mm -hmm. wasn't. It was stuff for... It was bullshit. It was stuff for roads in places that that weren't at the center of the damage, right on the coast. Mm -hmm. But there was like... Money that had been set aside to, to re-roof a government building in Washington, D.C. that had been destroyed because of the hurricane. Mm-hmm. They called all of that pork. And eventually, they, they, you know, they finally passed the bill, okay, two months later. Right. Two months later, okay? And, to, and the, the thing that's really interesting is that the people that were most beat up on this were people in Staten Island and out in the Rockaways. They're all Republicans. Yep. They are all Stat King is the, the congressman from Staten Island, a staunch Republican. They fucked them over because they just wanted to be assholes. Ted Cruz wanted to be an asshole. And I really hope that Democrats don't stoop to the level of infantile pettiness that Republicans did back then. Okay, let me tell you something. Okay, when your neighbor's house is on fire, you don't fucking negotiate over the price right. of water. You just don't fucking do it, right. all right? And in the case of politicians, you know, like Vice President Pence, okay, what's important isn't, you know, what what's important to him really isn't authenticity. It's not a verbatim quote from the King James Bible, or for that many, for that matter, mm-hmm. any Bible I've found. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's about how you can morph. Matthew 725 to suit your own ideological narrative. This is a clip uh, of Mike Pence when he was a congressman speaking on the floor in 2005 right after Hurricane Katrina. You got it queued up? Yep. Listen to this, and then I'm going to tell you why this is just fucked up beyond belief. Mr. Speaker, Katrina breaks my heart. When I consider its tragic aftermath, the ancient parable comes to mind, and the rains descended and the flood came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. For most American families, when a tree falls on your house, you tend to the wounded, you rebuild, and then you figure out how you're going to pay for it. Later today, Congress will continue the work of funding the relief and recovery from Hurricane Katrina. And well, we should by speeding more than $50 billion to FEMA and other agencies. But as we tend to the wounded, As we begin to rebuild, let us also do what every other American family would do in like circumstances and expects this Congress to do. Let's figure out how we're going to pay for it. Congress must ensure that a catastrophe of nature does not become a catastrophe of debt for our children and grandchildren. Yeah. All right. First things first. Fuck you, you fucking punk. Okay, because the actual passage from Matthew seven twenty five does not say and it and it fell with a mighty crash. The, the the line is and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it yep. fell not. Right. For it was founded upon a rock. Yep. Okay, I'm, I'm looking at it. How right do you, now, how so. do you fucking what the you can't For, first what of all the fuck you fuck you. Pizza, I'll give you, you I'll give you a dollar for every real Christian you can introduce me to that actually that actually isn't isn't repulsed and angered by the actual words of Jesus because if you want to make a Christian mad really quickly start quoting actual Jesus quotes oh, yeah, that flies in the I face looked, of everything they let me embrace tell you something. I looked through like 10 different 
versions. Ten different Bibles, you know, King James, every one of them. And the quote, in, in none of them, yeah. did the quote say, and it fell with a mighty crash. None. Nowhere. Yeah. I couldn't fucking find it. What's even more... Well, fu- in, in 26, there's a contrast for the man who built his house on sand. Right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. He's literally like, this is it. It's buffet, buffet Bible. Buffet Bible. You know, yeah. pick and choose yeah. and shit. But what's even more fucked up than that is that in less than one minute, he says that for most families... When a tree falls on your house, you tend to the wounded, and then you figure out how you're going to pay for it. And and then he follows that hint of true inner virtue, okay, mm-hmm. by caveating it, okay, with, as we tend to the wounded and rebuild, let us do what every other American family would do in like circumstances and expects this Congress to do. Let's figure out how we're going to pay for it. Well, you just said you don't figure out how to pay for it. You deal with it first, then you figure out how to pay for it. Okay, I, you know, this is the kind of thing that really makes me, I know, I know. Yoga, deep breaths, we just were talking breath. about the yoga show earlier. Num yum green gay kyo, you got the incense, where's the incense? We got That's incense. A, it's in the incense we're cabinet. We're going to have to, yeah, I swear to God, this is one of those things, and you know, once again, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. You know, I want to remind people that, you know, I I was I, I made this post the other I posted this the other day. You know, they were talking about the uh, town of Beaumont has been without drinking water for four days, four days because their water pumps broke. And they got like a hundred little over a hundred thousand people in a town, four days without drinking water. Okay, this is from a natural catastrophe. You know, let's try and remember the people in Flint, Michigan, who have been without drinking water for over two fucking years and that was a political problem and then it occurred to me guess what mm-hmm. you know what this natural disaster yeah it's kind of also a political kind of a, also a political also, problem yeah. it's also that, man, i know you know you just gotta you know keep things in perspective oh by the way i believe in uh in asia right now or in bangladesh that was Bangladesh. Like twelve hundred mm. people have died because of uh, flooding from a typhoon. Yeah, but that's over there. That and, is over there. And they're, they're brown. They're, they're brown. They're, they're brown. Some, they're like yellow. It's they're like, yellow. They're brownish. It's kind they're brown of. Brown a, they're browner. Kind of. A, they're browner. Kind of a burnt toast know, tone. You know. Yeah, we don't care. Yeah, it's Indians. You know. Yeah. Dots, not feathers, <laughs> as they say. So there you go. There's hypocrisy grande, right there. I, of course, have a great deal more hypocrisy to point out. But you know what? We're going to yeah, rock some feeling like I just, I can't help myself. This is just some great rock. It's Vintage Trouble on a Groovathon on SoFloRadio.com. Fucking around. Mm-hmm. 
game has been played a long time with fighting as a major element of the game. It never really was thought of as anything unusual. There was nothing premeditated about it. It was just people in crazed search of the Stanley Cup. But things were different for the Flyers. What the Flyers did that no other team had previously done was win through intimidation. They really made fighting a tactic. People knew right away that this was something different. It was all part of the game plan. It was all part of the strategy. We're just going to go out and annihilate people. And by annihilating them, we're going to render them ineffective. And that's how we're going to win. And it worked. Love and happiness. Yeah. Something that can make you do wrong. Make you do right. Yeah. Love and a happiness But wait a minute, something's going wrong Someone's on the phone Three o'clock in the morning, yeah. Talking about how she can make it right, yeah. yeah. Happiness is when you really feel good about somebody. There's nothing wrong being in love with someone, yeah.
on the NHL level again two heavyweights don't start with the heavyweights they start with other people they escalate to the heavyweights who are taking the responsibility for the guys on their benches
at home and this love is slowly fading I said love me not girl 
love on the run, baby. And I'm out of here. Out, baby, you love it. Goes on forever. That is galactic. Something brand new for them. For them on uh, what's it on the mascot label? That is love on the run. Definitely got that Bill Withers and ode to Bill Withers about that. Totally sounds like that. Before that, this is one of those things. I am so grateful I stumbled upon Binky Grip Tight. Song is called The Stroll. That is a forty-five. It's out on Daptone Records. This guy is not just doing music. He's actually got. His own radio show, which is on uh, WFUV, which is uh, Fordham University uh, radio station, okay, in New York. And it's one of the grooviest shows I've ever heard. It's called The Boogie Down, and it's on Saturday nights. And so, you know, it takes a lot, you know, obviously, if I'm promoting somebody else's radio show, that's how fucking good it is. And I swear, it's absolutely worth listening to. The Boogie Down on FUV, it's hosted by Binky Griptite and... Seriously, every show, just wall-to-wall, fantastic, groovy music, okay? I took a look at, like, two or three, the lineups on two or three of his shows. Just great tune after great tune after great tune after great tune. A lot of stuff I've already played, all right? But just tons of great music. He had a lot of stuff in there before that. Yeah, Mantronics, King of the Beats. That's the 12-inch he came out with in uh, 1988. Literally... One of the uh, most sampled songs ever. I was. It's been sampled in over 270 different songs. This uh, this particular Mantronics King of the Beast has been sampled by. Uh, let me see. Cake, De La Soul, Delight, Ice Tea, and of course, Handsome Boys Modeling Club. And yeah, uh, we love them. This was actually they were originally on Sleeping Bag Records, which is when I first met them when I was working at Tower. And then when they came out with this, this was their first album that was on Capitol. And uh, right after it came out, the DJ, uh, MCT, these guys basically hooked up together. Um, one of them was a DJ in like a record store in New York. You know, we used to be able to do that, too. At, at uh, Tower, I used to be able to go into the, uh, the the DJ booth. They had a Yuri 5000 four track and, you know, we could mix in a DJ mm-hmm. booth. So these guys met and this guy, MCT, after this came out, he basically just up and joined the Air Force. And his whereabouts now are un. No. Oh. Yeah. MCT went up and joined the Air Force. Before that, a little Al Green love and happiness surrounding that. A couple of uh, couple little uh, tidbits uh, about hockey. I'll be getting back to that about the Philadelphia Flyers. Big shout out to my man Dave Dubay, whom I'm going to be seeing for the first time in I don't know how many years. We used to go to this after hours uh, called Isabella's. It was on like uh, 101st Street and uh, Manhattan Avenue, which is like this little... Uh, 
stretch of, of road between Columbus and Central Park West. It was in a half hour. It was called Isabella's. And it was basically all Spanish. And the entire jukebox had nothing on it but, like, merengue and salsa, except for, like, four or five CDs, one of which happened to be Al Green's Greatest Hits. So we would go there at, like, 4.30 in the morning. You know, we'd close up the night cafe, go there, and our motto was, all Al, all the time. And we got away with it for a little while until one of the carnals from uh, the Latin Kings came over to me said, oh, yeah, go on. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes, it is enough. You are absolutely correct, sir. <laughs> that was more than enough. I'm grateful you let me get those four in. So uh, he was nice <laughs> about the whole thing. Before that, yeah, on the subject of that, straight out of Medellin, baby. La Sonora Caruseles, la Salsa Lego. Yeah, that one going out to my man Enos from Medellin. Well, you know, you got to get your salsa on and kicking off the set. Vintage Trouble. We love it. Blues Hand Me Down from the Bomb Shelter Sessions came out in 2012. You know, I was look, doing some homework because I do the homework so you don't have to. These guys actually played for uh, a birthday party for Paul Stanley of Kiss for his 60th birthday party and sang You Shook Me by Led Zeppelin at the party. And then... And on October the 6th, 2015, the band traveled to Austin, Texas, and fulfilled a dream of theirs by playing at a live taping of Austin City Limits. Now, as a band, if that's your dream, I'm cool with that. I'm cool. You know, some people are like, I want if, if your thing is, I want to get on Austin City Limits, okay, mm-hmm. you're okay. You're, you're cool in my book, okay? Right. As far as, you know, wanting to do something. So, there you go. So... I predicted last week, uh, you know, or two weeks ago, did our show on a Monday. I said, you know, the pardoning of Arpaio is going to feel like the pardoning of for an entire basket of deplorables if it happens, which I thought it would. The next day, Trump, mm. you know, gets on his horse, rides out to his praise-a-thon in, uh, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, says, you know, I think he's going to be all right. And then, of course, during the hurricane, yeah, he said, you know, he releases the statement saying that he's pardoning Arpaio. Now, what I thought was interesting was that just after that, uh, Sheriff Joe, as he's uh, affectionately known, commented that he would, and I quote, this is a quote, consider the possibility of running for the U.S. Senate. And he's probably referring to uh, the seat uh, currently currently held by uh, Jeff Flake, who is now, you know, trying to be, Positioned right. as a flake. Anti-Trump. Yeah, he's, you know, the anti-Trump. So my thought was, really, way to be unambiguous there, tough guy. You know, I'm considering the possibility of running for Senate. I was like, tell you what, I'm giving thought to perhaps considering the chance that there might be a possibility that maybe you should just shut the fuck up. What do you think? Right, and go away, because that's what I would do. I've already had my bout with, with Arpaio. Uh, he can't you go know, away I murders, yeah. The pink underwear, a, the tent city out on Van Buren. He's 105. And, so. Yeah. He, you know, he did all that stuff. He's like, it's supposed to be bad. Yeah, I know it's supposed to be bad. So I've been looking through some of the stuff that I've written over the last two years about Trump and concluded more than anything else. You know, they were talking about how he's uh, the consoler in chief. You know, went out to tea, wanted to be the, but you know what he is? He's really the campaigner in chief. Yeah. Okay. And what reminded me of this is when he went to Texas on. Uh, Tuesday, goes out on the tarmac, got the, the Texas, the, mm-hmm. the state flag of Texas. What a great turnout. What a great crowd. All I could think of was the Henny Youngman scene. There you go, a little Trump action there. But all I could think of was the Henny Youngman scene from Goodfellas. You know? Mm-hmm. Take my wife, please. I take my wife everywhere. She finds her way home. 
She's, I asked her, would she want to go on her anniversary? She said, I want to go someplace I've never been before. I said, great, try the kitchen. My doctor's here. Dr. Welter gave a guy six months to live. Couldn't pay his bill. Gave him another six months. I love this crowd. That was, yeah. that's yeah. what he sounded like. Yeah. So I was going back through some stuff that I wrote. And back in April, I wrote that Trump is, at his core, a salesman. Choosing to be in sales isn't about making money. It's about earning a living by being desired, albeit vicariously, because what you're selling is what's truly desired, not you. Furthermore, and I say this as someone who could sell a Bangkok sex trip to Vice President Pence, nothing is more satisfying to a sales pro than selling someone something you know that that customer doesn't really want and most certainly doesn't need. Pay attention to how Trump constantly feels the need to praise his employees publicly whenever he's got a chance. Now, the perfect example of this was on that same Tuesday where he went to Austin. He had, um, you know, where he's sitting around at the table with all of his cabinet members there, and he called on each one of them individually, pointing them out and proclaiming what a great job they were doing, every second of which he knew was going to be broadcast on all mm. three networks. Okay, he went around the table, okay? So I wrote, this is the same methodology that's been used by telemarketing boiler room managers for years. Sure, if you sell more than the others, you're going to make more money. But veteran phone room managers know that oftentimes it's just as important subconsciously for salesmen to see their name at the top of the board. And quite often, the person who puts up the most numbers on any given day doesn't actually end up making the most money because it ain't what you sell, it's what you collect. Otherwise, you're just chunking wood. And that's what Trump is doing by extension, encouraging his employees and it's necessitating his emissaries to do. This is what he is. He's the boiler room manager. He's just throwing out the praise. He wants everybody to feel good about themselves, mm -hmm. okay, no matter what they're doing. It's all about propping them up. And I wrote, he's the prototypical Republican. He knows how to win, but he doesn't know how to be a winner. Mm. Okay? Good point. The GOP are a party, a political party devoid of empathy. They don't, once they've... Once they've won the initial battle, okay, mm -hmm. and taken over the kingdom, they don't know how to run the fucking kingdom. Nope. They don't know how to deal with, with their people. No. As I said before, it's the Morton Downey Jr. complex. Nothing matters unless it directly and directly affects you. Right. Well, their whole plan is just to loot and benefit themselves anyway. They don't run the government. The government's supposed to do things for people. They have no interest in that. The republic is supposed to be subservient to the democracy, not the other way around. I mean, the farther they, out there he goes, the more Fox News searches for and then focuses on far-left examples to create the false equivalency. The difference is that Democrats would never, would never ever nominate the rent-is-too-damn-high guy, the guy from New York. Okay? <laughs> All right? Okay, the thing is, is that if we did, okay, Republicans would right, love him, right. except for the fact that he's black. Yeah. Okay, except for the fact that he's black. But basically, they would love that shit. They don't care about the circumstance. They care about the pomp. It's mm. all pomp and no circumstance. Once he's, you know, he literally is a shark that, can, that needs to swim. Without a battle, mm -hmm. okay, he, he feels listless. He has to be fighting somebody, and for him, okay... It's really about, you know, what comes next, okay? And so by now, you're probably wondering about all the clips about hockey and specifically the Philadelphia Flyers. 
So a mm. few months ago, I rewatched a documentary. It's one of those 30 for 30 things on ESPN, and it was about the Broad Street Bullies, which were the what the Philadelphia Flyers were, the nickname they were given in January 73 by one of the uh, a uh, sports writer from, I believe, the Philadelphia Inquirer. And I'm watching it, and the more I'm watching it, the more I started to see similarities between the 70s Flyers and the Trump methodology over the last few years, and even more since he was elected president. Okay? The NHL had its golden years from 1942 to 1967. There were only six teams in the league. Okay. Okay? The original six. All right? And... In 1967, they decided to expand the league, so they brought in all of these expansion teams, and the quote was that they turned their sacred sport into a savage spectacle. If anyone appreciated the fine line between talent and terror that the team was skating, it was Philadelphians. Not much had come easy to the city of late, and the Flyers' gritty brand of hockey struck a chord. They were the perfect antidote for a city looking for a lift. Okay, This is how I view Trump. Philly at the time was really hit hard economically, felt its pain, and of course, they were a city of losers. They, they like, literally, all their sports teams just get, kept getting this shit. They just, they kept losing over and over. You know, it's one of those things, I get no respect, I'm from Philadelphia, you know, it's a whole band of crazy nuts comes from. But the thing is, is that the fans there loved the Flyers, okay? They were starved for a winner, and one of the guys said, you know, we were basically at the right place at the right time. Kind of like Trump, okay? Bobby Clark said, you know, you get the occasional death threats. I love that. They're supposed to hate you, right? If you don't do anything to make them dislike you, then you're not much of an opponent. Bobby Clark, okay? Clark, okay, was basically the number, the league's number one adversary, um... On ass, his his on ice antics were semi legal but fully effective. They described him as ferocious and relentless. If you can't be inspired by that, then there's something wrong with you. Of course, somebody said Bobby Clark was one of the most inspirational players ever. He was also one of the filthiest players ever. And in 1975, the finals were between the Flyers, Philadelphia Flyers, and the Buffalo Sabres. And it was the first time ever the two expansion teams played for the Stanley Cup. I take a look at that as 2016. Trump against Hillary Clinton. Two expansion teams. Neither one of them were, you know, the traditional original six. Mm-hmm. Okay? Not that They weren't doing that. Dave Schultz was basically... What, what happened was the Flyers, basically, in their first... They, the first time they made the playoffs, they literally got bludgeoned. They, got, they just got beat up horribly. And the guy who bought the Flyers said, that's never going to happen to us again. We're never going to do that. And so they started drafting for future teams based on that. And they drafted Schultz and Seletsky. And in 1974, uh, uh, Dave Schultz said, once you develop a reputation, it becomes expected. In the 74-75 season, Schultz had 472 penalty minutes, which is just shy of eight full games. And that is a record that stands unchallenged to this very day. Okay, he was a king in an era when violence and circus-like chaos began to reign in the NHL. Once our team got on the map, they said, holy shit, we better try and keep up with these guys. So every team went out and got some guys that would stand up for their team against the Flyers, and they built up an arms race. This is what I have seen happening in politics. Politics now 
okay, isn't about virtue. It's about beating the shit out of the other guy. And, you know, the Republicans started it, and now the Democrats are going well, to have to do it. Guy there out. is no other mm, way. Nope. And back then, there was there were no rules uh, about third man in and bench-clearing bulls. It was basically a fucking free-for-all. And this guy said they brawled their way to the top. Hated by purists, a disgrace to the game, they represented everything evil about the games. But mm. when they played Russia, okay, that was the one time everybody rooted for them. They had, the Russian team came and played against a series of NHL teams. They beat them all, and then the fly, when they played the Flyers, Flyers literally within the first ten minutes just pounded them into mulch, and the the Russian coach pulled the team off. Said, "We're not going to do this anymore." And this is the best part: they were off for like ten minutes, and the guy who was the head of the NHL or the the Flyers went to the locker room and said, "You don't want to play anymore? Then you're not going to get paid." And they came back. They came back and did it, and you know they they beat the shit out of them. I went to one of the games against with the NHL All Stars against the uh, the Russian, the Soviet, you know team. Okay, at Madison Square Garden, and that was you know that was a lot of fun. And every player on the NHL All Stars was cheered and applauded, except for one, Bobby Clark. Bobby Clark was booed mercilessly, even against the Russians. That's how much we hated this guy. If you take a look at the methodology that Donald Trump and Republicans in general have employed, okay, it's very much like the Philadelphia Flyers. They didn't care how many stitches they had to get, how many penalty minutes. They just, they were going to beat you down. That was the methodology for victory. They wanted to beat you up. They didn't want it to be pretty. They didn't want to win the game on skill. They wanted to win the game by basically making it so that you couldn't play it anymore. You were ineffective, and they had changed the game. Okay? They, the rule book was 80 pages long. After the Flyers, mm-hmm. it was like three times as long. They literally had to expand it. And I look at the way Trump and Steve Bannon mm-hmm. and those guys— Basically, it was all about going for the throat. They just beat the shit out of Hillary Clinton. And I'll tell you something. I've been thinking a lot about this. And you know why Hillary Clinton lost? It was because of Hillary Clinton. She should have known better. She should have known she was a flawed candidate. She should have known they were going to do this to her. She should have stepped out of the way. Nobody likes anybody being anointed, especially the opposition, who can use that to their advantage. Yes. And that was what you had with the original six. And when the Flyers won, they beat the shit out of the Rangers. Yep. Okay, no, on their way right. there. They bloodied them up. And nobody, you know, all these fights, Dave Schultz just fought everybody. And that's how they won Stanley Cups. And I think this is what we're seeing now with Donald Trump and the Republicans. They're go- Donald Trump doesn't care, okay, <laughs> whether or not you like him. Because no. for him, all he cares about are the people in Philadelphia. People in Philadelphia worship this team to this day. Mm-hmm. But they are hated Everywhere else. Everybody else hates that team. Hockey purists, there's a guy who's like, they're always going to be in the penalty box for me for what they did those two seasons. Mm. That's what one guy said. Another guy, the the quote was, he goes, I had this friend of mine who wanted to empty out the water in his toilet bowl and repaint it with a logo of the Flyers in there. Okay? (laughs) That's how much he hated them. But the thing was is that the Flyers, you know, when you're listening to the interviews, they're like, we have nothing to apologize for. Okay? We don't care. We are at, they still, a lot of them still live in Philadelphia. They mm-hmm. stayed there and they're beloved. 
That team is beloved. People, the mm-hmm. kids that weren't weren't born yet. Okay, this is what they find out about, and that's all these guys care about. They couldn't care less whether or not they're liked anyplace else. And I think this is what Trump is about. He doesn't care whether the masses like him. He wants his 20 to 30 million people when he gets out of office, and hopefully he doesn't have to go to prison, and he wants to just drag them along. He Mm. wants that crowd that enjoys the fine line of terror and, you know, and violence and, you know, and the fine, you know, and and the finer points of the actual of actual politics, of actually legislating, of actually becoming part of a republic subservient to a democracy. He didn't give a shit about that. Right. He couldn't care less. He is literally the broad street bullies of politics. That's all he, you know, everything in everything during the campaign was about beating the shit out of people. He didn't care. So there you go. I wanted to get that one out of the way before anybody else tries to draw that analogy. All right. I wanted to make sure I got here first. How do I, how do okay. I do it? Very, very well documented. Did I get that one yes, out of the way? Look, our, I'm a huge hockey fan. And you I, used I, audio references. Uh, we got it all done? Know, yep. I love Sounds it. Good. I love it. You know what? Fantastic. It's Labor Day. We're going to keep working hard with a little more rock and roll. It's Rival Sons on the Groovathon on SoFloRadio.com. Thank you. 
little green and take way more than the need. Ha oh, ho, the desaturating seven. I'm going to prowl and pray till the world is dark and gray because they are the desaturating seven. celebration of the Flyers' championship was the largest public gathering the city had ever seen. We were loved in Philadelphia, and we were equally as hated in every, every other city. 
wrong What's the way that I got my song Or could it be the way I treated her Please tell me cause everything's such a blur Everybody's lying in the 
soul that is that is soul groovalicious right there the band is the universe souls song is new generation it's a 45 that came out in 1970 they only had two singles that came out those guys from daytona beach florida something like that before that yeah Susie chunk and groovy uncle barefoot in the uh, car park that is a 45 those guys uh, put out in 2012 i played Susie chunk before uh those people out of england before that the bad roads blue girl also 45 that came out 
1966, and those guys only had two singles. They are originally from Louisiana. They got the name of the band, The Bad Roads, from the Dwayne Eddy song, 40 Miles of Bad Road. So if you're going to you know, name your band after a song by somebody, Dwayne Eddy, okay, I'm all right with that. A little more of the uh, Broad Street Bullies in there about how they were loved in Philly and hated everywhere else. Side note, when they won the Stanley Cup in uh, 74, 73-74 season, okay, the parade that they had, it was the largest public gathering in the history of Philadelphia to this day. Okay. Largest public gathering ever. For that, Derek Morgan, River to the Bank. That is uh, from Derek Morgan in London from 1969. Derek Morgan, I was, I was telling you about this. In 1960, he became the only artist ever to fill the places from one to seven on the Jamaican pop chart simultaneously. And his first full-length album, which is called Seven Letters, came out in 1969. Um, it had a cover of the Benny King song, uh, Seven Letters. And it was really called the, uh, people have said it's like the first true reggae single. So, you know, you might as well, you know, if you're going to do it, you get you go out to the original stuff. Before that, brand new stuff from Primus called, yeah, The Seven. <laughs> from uh, the uh, new album they come out, it's called The Desaturating Seven, which is coming out uh, September the 29th. And the sound in that, you know, Les Claypool... Brilliant bassist, whacked out dude, but absolutely <laughs> brilliant, brilliant bassist. The sound in that was very yes, had that very Chris Squire yeah. thing. And also, the track is also a tad King Crimson-esque. So there you go. Then, after listening to it a few more times, I decided an unmistakable scent of early Genesis in there. So he's really going for all that stuff and kicking off the set, Rival Sons, Electric Man. From Great Western Valkyrie came out in 2014. This guy's from California, but they recorded that album in Nashville, which is why it sounds so great. I got some more stuff from Nashville coming up in the drive group. Oh, you know what that means? Yeah, time for me to take care of the people who take care of me. That's right. You know what I'm talking about. Precision Auto Works, Pompano Beach, Florida, 954-247-9362. Dave, Ashley, the entire A-S-E. Certified crew. Those guys, bumper to bumper. I guarantee you when electric cars are like, you know, the way Dave will, you know, Dave will still be the guy you bring it to. He's just one of those guys. Can He's MacGyver. He's fucking MacGyver, man. There's nothing. There are cars in there right now that are just so awesome. When I go in there, blah, blah. I love that stuff. Easy to get to. Right off of 95, take 95 West, uh, go to Atlantic, take Atlantic West off of 95, make the turn on Andrews, turn on 3rd Street, 60 seconds off the highway, bumper to bumper. You can go to the SoFloRadio.com website, click on my box, it says Tony C's SoFlo Groovethon, it's going to take you to my page, on that page you're going to see every show I've ever done, there's a link for every show so that it can be listened to or downloaded for free. Above each link, you're going to see every song played on that particular show. And at the very top, there is a description of the show. And there is a link, which is now going to actually take you to where you're supposed to go to. Dave, yes. Dave in his infinite soon. wisdom, you know, decided that the website, why even bother? So it takes you right to his uh, Facebook 
page, which gives you all the information that was on the website that he was paying for. So, right. you know, and you know what's great? That's going to translate into a better deal for you. Mention the Groovathon. There is a discount. You're not going to need it, but it's absolutely Groovathon approved. 954-247-9362. Precision Auto Works, Pompano Beach, Florida. It is absolutely the place where people who love their cars take their cars. And I have got <laughs> some. This one, I, I've got an entire set here that is absolutely Redline in the RPMs. It's the Drive Groove with Jakey e. Lee on SoFloRadio.com.
Can't go wrong with that. Allman Brothers stand back from live at Fillmore East, one of the ten greatest live rock and roll albums ever recorded. I, I think, I think I'm on pretty, I'm, I'm on terra firma there. You know, it's up there. You know, song remains the same. Frampton comes alive. Blah blah blah, all that. Before that, this is off the chain. A guy named Johnny Highland, Bluesberry Jam from uh, his 2011 CD. It's called All Fired Up. Johnny Highland, you got it. This is a. I, I was going to play Working Man's Blues, which he does a good version of, but that you know we were talking about. This. That's just too easy on Labor Day. It just it just is. This guy Johnny Highland, unbelievable guitar player, one of these Nashville treasures. You know that's out there, and I you know I was on a tele Telecaster kick, so I've got a whole bunch of stuff like Albert Lee and Ricky Skaggs from the American Music Show, which was Mark O'Connor's thing. So I had a great you know I had I was going to play uh, what I had. Uh, Luxury Liner by those guys. I was I was going to play that, which is the uh, Graham Parsons song. Then I just stumbled across this Johnny Highland thing, and it's just check this guy out, Johnny Highland. You want to live here, you know, if you're into this kind of stuff, and you should be. He, you just go out and get everything he's got. Go on to YouTube, start listening. You'll be hooked immediately. Before that, interesting band, Messer Chups. Okay, the song is Magneto, and those guys are from Germany. That is from the Open Stage in Berlin, which is a uh, you know one of those music shows they do over there in Germany. They used to do uh, Own Filter, which was uh, show that was on for many years. Saw the Dixie Dregs, you know they've got uh, did some stuff on that. And kicking off the Drive Groove, Jake E. Lee. I came tumbling. That is from the 2005 uh, CD he came out with. It's called Retraced, and he does he does basically lots and lots of covers that one uh i came tumbling is a uh, grand funk railroad song it's uh, originally written by mark farner whom i had the pleasure of seeing at bb uh, kings in new york a uh, shout out to my man roger who got me tickets for that on this particular album he's got tim bogart and ainsley dunbar playing with with him with jakey lee so you know with those three okay hard to go wrong really hard to go wrong fantastic record though he really there's some great stuff on there, and I kind of culled that from it. So before we get out of here today, uh, yesterday, um, uh, one of my favorites um, passed away. Um, Walter Becker um, from you know one of the two original members of Steely Dan, him and uh, Donald Fagan, uh, passed away yesterday at his... Uh, at his house out. He lives out in Maui. He's been out there for, for a long time. And I guess he had uh, he had, had some medical uh, stuff going on, so he didn't tour uh, this last summer. He didn't do the Great East and the Great West tours and, you know, all these, these concerts with the 70s bands and stuff. And Steely Dan has been touring now, you know, pretty consistently year after year after year because they can't make, you know, there's no money in selling CDs, so they have to make money by playing concerts. And... I, um, you know, I've played lots of Steely Dan on the show, and I'm going to, you know, get us out of here with another Steely Dan track. When I was uh, working at Tower Records in 1985, um, one night I was downstairs, and I was resealing uh, some of the albums. You know, we had gotten, we would play albums, play a cut, and then we'd reseal it, repackage it, put it back in the bins again. So I'm down there, and a guy comes down, and he goes, hey, your heroes are upstairs. I went, what? He goes... Steely Dan. I went, you're kidding me. He goes, nah, they're, they're rummaging through your section. They were going through the uh, Soul and 12-inch section. Hightail it up there. My best Jesse Owens impersonation right up there. 
how you doing, blah, blah, blah. And they were, at the time, they were working on a project with a lady named Rosie Vila. And Rosie Vila, who had been a model, was trying to get her you know, singing career together at the time she was dating Peter Max, uh, whom I also know because I went to high school with Adam. I graduated with Adam, and I know his daughter Libra very well. Shout out, Libra. And so I went up there, and I said, hi. My name's Tony. I'm the Solon 12-inch. You know, I run the Solon 12-inch. We're walking through it, and I said, look, I got to tell you guys something. No bullshit. I said, your albums, Countdown to Ecstasy and Pretzel Logic, basically helped myself and my best friend Steve Vaccaro survive through our junior and senior years in high school. And Becker looked over at me and goes, pretty sick kids, weren't you? And I went, yeah, pretty much. And that's my I Met Steely Dan story. That was the whole thing right there. I hooked them up with something in the reggae section. They were very nice and polite, and they, they split. They actually, for a while, lived in the exact same apartment, but floors apart on the building that was on Central Park West between 73rd and 74th. And basically, there's a lot of... Stories about why they broke up and, and, you know, had to kind of get away from each other. Really, it came down to Walter Becker got far too into doing heroin. And then he had his girlfriend overdosed. And I believe, from what I understand, that his girlfriend was also underage. Um, or at least young enough that it, that was going to complicate things even further. Like, you know, having somebody OD on heroin... You know, in your apartment isn't isn't bad enough, and uh, those guys, you know, for years and years and years, they didn't tour. They only did studio work, and we've always talked about this. You and I, we are the Steely Dan of radio. That's how yeah. anal retentive. If it's you know, just like just like Dave Carey at Precision Auto Works, if it's not perfect, it's not right. It's either perfect or it's wrong. Period. That's it. Right. Okay, it that's it. Steely Dan. There's a great quote. From uh, Jeff Skunk Baxter saw this uh, documentary and he was saying, you know, these guys, they were out of control. He's like, I'm billing out as a session musician at, you know, $250, $300 an hour. And I, you know, these guys want to spend the first three or four hours of studio time arguing over where my chair should be in the studio. He's like, fine, pay me $1,000 while you keep moving a chair around the studio. (laughs) Okay, that's what they would do. I have... Uh, some outtakes from Katie Lied, and it's interesting because in at one point you can hear them go. They do the song, and then you hear them go, "Okay, let's try it again with the other solo." And they would mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. write different solos and see how they fit in. But they were so. It was the 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 perf- first thing first. The other thing is that for their first couple of albums, and most of the way through their their career, they just don't know how to finish songs. Their songs always faded out, mm-hmm. okay? And so myself and Steve, what we would do is we would find the channel with the, the fade-out guitar solo on it, mm-hmm. and we would turn it all the way to that and turn it all the way up so I could catch every last note, <laughs> like at the end of my old school, at the end of Bodhisattva, at the end of Boston Rag. I wanted to hear every single last Denny Diaz, <laughs> Jeff Skunk Baxter riff that they were laying down. And, um, you know, they... What what ended up happening was they they didn't tour for years and years and years, um, and eventually they finally got back together. You know he you know Becker basically got off of his heroin thing, and so they got back together and they did two more albums, uh, two against nature, which was basically other than Asia, I think it's their best selling album of all time. They didn't sell millions and millions of records. Asia sold sold well. 
Two Against Nature, which you know came out in 2001 or something like that. So it had literally been 20 years since they, you know, in between original recordings, you know, all, all original material. But they won the Grammy that year, you know, for that particular album. And they, they went on tour, you know, over and over again. And, and it, it saddens me. I'm a big, big Steely Dan fan. Um, you know, and, and this is, you know, there's a lot of people that have passed away recently, but Walter Becker is one of those guys, you know, I always used to say, uh, myself and Steve would talk about the two of them together and, um, you know, how they would come up with songs. And I read an interview where Donald Fagan said, you know, we were on the same page musically, you know, I could start a song and he could finish it. And we, myself and Steve had always said that it was like Donald Fagan wrote the melodies and Walter Becker made it you know, rock and rolled it, made it rock and roll. It was, it was Fagan who had more of the jazz, you know, that, that, that big band feel. He would bring all the horns. He wanted to have all that, the, the full orchestration. And it was Walter Becker who was like, you know what? I want to smack somebody around for a little while. Is that okay? And so album after album there, I can listen to them all. Um, and, you know, I've memorized pretty much everything they've ever put out. And so, you know, for me personally, uh, yeah, I'm glad I got a chance to see them. I've seen them a couple of times. I saw them the first time they ever toured uh, when they got back together in 93. I saw them in Phoenix, Arizona, and that was great. And One of the things they did that was fantastic was when they would go out on tour, they would literally assemble a new group of musicians each tour, and they, they would pluck them from like the jazz clubs in New York. They would go around and find studio musicians, unknown guys, and they'd just bring them in because they could, you know, they would have all these guys on their radio, Larry Carlton doing a guitar, Tom Scott. You know, or, or Dave Sanborn or, or Steve Gadd. They would get all these guys. You can't get these guys to tour. Okay? They're, 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 they make too much as studio musicians. And so, you know, Fagan and, and, uh, and Becker, you know, got a whole bunch of people nobody ever heard of and brought them on tour, tour after tour after tour. And they've been touring ever since. And, you know, it is. This is a, for me personally, you know, there wasn't going to be, they weren't going to do anything else. So, you know, it's not like I was expecting brand new fantastic material from them. Still, you know, I have, you know, this. It, there's a lot of memories. Steely Dan, that's the music. That's one of those bands that is the soundtrack of a segment of my, of my life. You know, I hear a song and it brings me back immediately to a place, a time, you know, a situation. And uh, so, you know, I found out about that. You know, originally when it was posted people were saying it was it was a hoax you know that somebody had hacked into walter becker's site but it was confirmed and then donald fagan officially uh confirmed it they still don't have a cause of death um you know it's one of those things where a lifetime of being walter becker probably caught up with him but you know he spent the last 20 years or so living on maui so you know not bad not bad at all. I mean, it's a great place to live. He had his own studio out there. So I'm going to get you out of here with uh, Your Gold Teeth from Countdown to Ecstasy, one of my all-time favorite records. Um, and, you know, happy Labor Day. I hope everybody's having fun at their barbecues, cracking open a, a frosty PBR tall boy, you know, pouring that one down, eating some uh, burgers and hot dogs and ribs and grilled chicken and whatnot, and celebrating unions celebrating the working man okay 
you know, before you, you know, these right to work states, just remember something. We have a 40 hour work week because of unions. Yeah. Okay. The reason you can't hire 10 year olds to stitch soccer balls together with their teeth here in America, like they do in China, Mm -hmm. unions, vacation, unions, eight hour workday, unions. Okay. A, a, A decent livable wage. Right. Okay. That's how you get a middle class. That's how we got the middle class because unions insisted on these wages. Yep. And they got them. And, you know, it's the greed of corporate America that has consistently, consistently, okay, tried to squash them in every way, shape, and form. And, you know, with, uh, with, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, you know, the, uh, the Supreme Court ruling, Citizens United. Mm-hmm. You know, the big thing was, you know, uh, money does equal free speech. You know, corporations do it, you know, just like the unions can. Just like the unions. Just like the teachers' union. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the auto workers' those, union. Those yeah, except cats. the difference between them and the corporations is those guys actually fucking work. Yeah. They go in and they tote that barge and lift that bale. All right? Yep. So, you know, I have to remind myself, I don't dig ditches for a living. And there are people who do, and yep. they should get paid for it, man, so that they can have a house and send their kids to college and take a vacation every right. year. They should be able to put food on their table. They shouldn't have to go in debt mm-hmm. just because they have a medical problem. That's how you have medical insurance. So here's to the working man. Here's to the union working man. Okay? On Labor Day, you know, remember that. Next time you see those guys out on the highway, sure, you know, they're municipal employees, but they got a union. And, yeah, you see them standing around, but guess what? You want better roads? They're the guys laying it, laying down a tar, baby. So don't badmouth the troops. Don't badmouth, you know, union union workers. I don't care what you say, you know. I know that there's a gripe against them in some instances. You know, they, they want to, you know, you can't fire a teacher anymore. That's one of those things I always hear. You know, the pol- you, you see this cop, and he does something horrible. It's on video, so he's suspended with pay. Suspended with pay? I, what? Yo, you do something like that, you're fucking fired, pal. That's the kind of thing that unions, you know, get under my skin a little bit about. On the other hand, you know what? What they're doing is for the other 50 times when a guy does something and it's not so cut and dry. That's why they say, you know what? We're going to wait till the investigation is over. So for every time you see, you know, one of those cops doing something fucked up, there's the other 10 times when somebody's bringing a false charge. Oh, he tried to rape me when he pulled me over. It was a bad this. It was a bad that. That shit happens a lot. It happens a lot. And I'm not going to, you know, try and, you know, make it sound like it's all right for the cops, you know, when you see them doing the kind of things. That cop who pulled the nurse. Did you see that shit? That video? With oh, the- you don't. Don't get me started now at this, at this point in the show. You know? Yeah, that's a 10-minute conversation. And, you know, you, you see stuff like that? Yeah. Unbelievable. Sure She's glad just we got these cameras. doing her job. Sure glad we got she, these cameras. I am, too. You know? And and that's the thing that people, you know, somebody said, it's not that this stuff wasn't going on. It's that we, 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 we didn't, didn't have cameras. See yeah. Okay? It's now people are seeing it. And right, so that's right. the way it's supposed to be. It's yep. going to, you know, and like everything else, it's going to take us time to figure yep. out how to use that to appropriately deal with situations in a more rapid fashion, in a more just fashion, and we'll get there. We will get there. I have tremendous faith in this country. Despite what's going on, I believe in America. I believe in America. 
<laughs> the good go. American. I went to the police. They laughed. She went free that very day. <laughs> I can't help myself with that one. So Suspended the sentence. Suspended the sentence. They laughed at me that very day. So I said, I must go to for justice. We, we must go to, to, to Don, Don Vito. Corleone. Don Vito. Don Vito Corleone. In any event, here's to the working man. You know what I'm saying? We're going to get you out of here with a little Steely Dan, your gold teeth from Countdown to Ecstasy. I'm going to come back in a couple of weeks. Well, hopefully. I got a little dental thing going on this week. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, hopefully I'll be back in two weeks. I'm going to try and do the exact same thing again. Just a little bit better. As always, for myself and George over there, it is peace and aloha. Good night, Mom.
Live from the beautiful city of Hollywood, Florida, USA. This is SoFloRadio.com.